Praise the Lord. Okay, he just talked me out of my backflip. <laughs> Let's lift our hearts to the Lord. Father, we just thank you so much for your love, your grace, and your presence here today. We thank you for the precious gift of the Holy Spirit. We pray, Father, that the word that we receive today will bring fruit in our lives. Bless and strengthen the pastor in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. So um, I also want to give one shout-out to our setup team. You know, a few weeks ago I came to you and I said, you know, we need some men to come and join the setup team. And normally, normally I don't make that appeal from up here because folks just, you know, fill in. But I did make an appeal. Let me tell you what our setup, who our setup team is now. Are you ready? Garrett Clough, Chris Moritz, Glenn Hur, Daryl Gordley, Lee Furness, Wade Johnson, Joseph Cesares, Jason London, Ryan Dieter, Mark Morrill, Justin Linsenmeyer, Mike Klein, Darren Wilson. You guys rock. I love you guys. And not only that, we had, uh, we had this week, we had a special, um, some special excitement in that the theater needed us to break down the stage and everything midweek for a performance that they were doing on Friday and Saturday night. So I said, okay, so what time does it end on Saturday? So we'll get our crew in here and we'll set it back up. He said, oh, it ends at 1.30 a.m. on Saturday. So do you want to get a crew here at 2 a.m. on Saturday night? And I said, I, I, I can be persuasive. I don't think I can be that persuasive. But our crew showed up at 6 o'clock this morning and just set everything up and got it dialed in. You guys, there's a special place in heaven for you. That was Joseph, Jason, Ryan, Mark, and Chris, and Fred, and Sean. If I missed anybody, man, I'll get you an extra donut, I promise, after, after church. Um, all right. We're talking through the book of Acts, We're doing Acts chapter 3 and, and chapter 4 today, and this, this passage, the passage we're going to do, I think is a very, very inspiring passage. How many of you have ever seen someone or experienced someone in life who took a stand in the face of adversity, in the face of danger, in a way that maybe you would not have been brave enough to do, and you saw them do that, and you just were filled with excitement and inspiration and encouragement from then? Um, I think one of the most iconic images of this in the 20th century is the Tank Man. Anybody remember the Tank Man? Remember the Tank Man? I'm going to talk about him in just a second, uh, just to kind of set, set this uh, series up. But I want to read one passage out of the book of James uh, before we dive into Acts. James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness means a cheerful or hopeful endurance, not just a, you know, weathering the storm, but a sort of cheerful face in the storm, bring it on kind of attitude. Um, And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James is saying you should rejoice when struggles come your way because that's building something inside of you that will make you perfect and complete so that you are lacking in nothing. We're going to talk about that today. Just when when those obstacles, when those problems, when those difficulties and challenges come, rather than try to sidestep them, rather than try to duck them, rather than try to matador them on by, facing them head on, tackling them head on by the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's what builds strength within you so that the next storm that comes, you'll be prepared. And the next storm that comes, you'll be prepared. You'll be strengthened throughout. Um, Okay, Tank Man. Back in June of 1989, right around the time many of you were born, 
uh, there was a uh, there was this sort of a student revolution that took place in um, in Beijing, China, to protest the Chinese government. And uh, all of these students and these citizens poured into Tiananmen Square. I don't know if you remember this. They poured into Tiananmen Square. They had hunger strikes. They had sit-ins. And at first, the Chinese government was being very conciliatory towards them. They said, look, we're, you know, they're peaceful sit-in. It's fine. But then the tide changed. And at some point, the government instituted martial law against these protesters. 300,000 troops started rolling into Tiananmen Square with tanks and assault rifles and systematically began to drive out, kill, crush these folks that were sitting there, unarmed citizens. It, it, it came to be known as the June 4th Massacre. It's not, we don't know how many people died uh, because all of that information was oppressed and, and suppressed. Um, uh, you know, foreign reporters were not allowed to keep their uh, recordings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but a few images came out, and one of the most riveting images from that period is this image of Tank Man. Do you guys remember this image? There, there are all these tanks, and we've got one man, one unarmed citizen. Can you see him okay? Over there. One unarmed citizen standing there. It looked like he came from the grocery store. He had a couple grocery bags, if you remember. He had a white shirt, black pants, and he was just standing in front of the tank. And when the tank would try to divert around to the left, he would move to the left. And when the tank tried to move around to the right, he would move that way. And he wouldn't, he, 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 he wouldn't let the tank go by. Finally, the, the lead tank turned off its engine, and then the armored vehicles behind it did the same. In fact, this picture doesn't totally do its service. There's, a, there's another image of it right here. This is the row of tanks that he stopped, and it actually goes beyond that. But we need a bigger screen for you to be able to see that. But here he is. I don't know if you can see him. Tank man, right down here, right here. Right there. One man shuts down an entire military battalion because he was willing to stop and stand up and face danger out of a deeply held belief about what was right. It's a powerful, powerful image. Nobody knows what became of Tank Man. Um, a couple people uh, in blue uniforms came out, pulled him into the crowd, and that's... All we know of Tank Man. There have been a few people that have surfaced. Maybe this was him. Maybe that was him. But it's not clear. Today, I want to tell you a story from the Bible that I think is, is, is deeply inspiring. It's encouraging. It's an empowering story from the book of Acts. And, and I want to talk to you about it today for this purpose. When we first started talking about Acts, we said, you know, let's just not read this as informative. Like as something that we can just reflect on and say, you know what, that was an interesting historical anomaly, right? But let's read it, re you know, let's read it as if we are part of it. Let's read it as if it is still happening today. Let's read it as if the Holy Spirit is real. And here's how we know that the Holy Spirit is real. And here's how we know that the, that the actions in the book of Acts were real. Because we're here today. When Jesus said to his disciples, he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, where they were. And then in Judea and Samaria, which is sort of the region. And in the uttermost parts of the earth. We are the uttermost parts of the earth. The reason we know that the power, the purpose, and the plan worked is because I'm standing here today preaching the gospel to you. We are the uttermost parts of the earth. Um, 
Acts chapter 1. I'm going to do just a quick review. Um, and, and I want to say this. If you're sitting there today saying, look, you know, I'm not facing any tanks, right? There's no communist regime that I'm facing. There's nothing like that in my life. Let me ask you this. What about that nagging habit that you can't seem to kick and it just is sort of pervasive and you don't know if you have the courage or the strength or the power or the ability to overcome that? What about that, you know, that, that issue in the relationship that you don't want to tackle because it would be very uncomfortable? It may cause some sort of rift and you don't want to deal with it. And you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life to do that. Or that, or that awkward conversation that you know you need to have with your boss or with your employee or with your friend or your student or your teacher. And you just don't want to do that. Anybody have those, those kinds of things in your life where you're thinking back, you're going, you know what? Yeah, I do have, I need to tackle that. I really, I know I need to address that. I just don't want to, right? I just, ugh, I want to avoid it. I want to duck it. That's what this, this passage that we're reading about is, uh, is all about. Because we're not, as a church, our goal is not simply to be a place of transference of information. We want to do that. We want to engage minds. But we also want to encourage your heart. We want to literally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have your heart filled with courage. So that you, your hands can be empowered. You can physically go out and do those things in your life, in your relationship, in your school, in your community that God is calling you to do by the power of His Spirit. Amen? Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to give you a quick thumbnail. Uh, we were introduced to the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. Jesus had died. Remember, this is around 33-ish A.D. Jesus had died. He had raised from the dead. He was seen by his disciples. He got his followers together and he said, I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to pour out my power upon you. Then you're going to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and other uttermost parts of the earth. That's the plan for you. That's the purpose for you. And then he ascended into heaven. And so we asked a couple weeks ago, what or who is the Holy Spirit? And we sort of talked about what that means and who that is and who that can be in your life. And I want to read you just a real quickly, um, a little explanation by a guy named Sinclair B. Ferguson um, about the Holy Spirit. I love this. He says this. He says, the biblical word for spirit, there are two words, the Hebrew word and the Greek word. The Hebrew word is ruach, and the Greek word is pneuma. He says, these are onomatopoeic terms. You know what onomatopoeia is? Okay, we're going to do just lecture, a little lecture time. Onomatopoeia, you know what that is, right? That's when a word sounds like the thing it's trying to describe. So the word buzz actually sounds like the buzz of a bee, so it's an onomatopoeia. Cool, right? So you guys can take that home with you. I learned something. The word plop, like water, plop, plop. It kind of sounds like a, you know, the plopping of water. Anyway, that's totally has nothing to do with anything. But, but what he's saying is these, this word, these words in the Hebrew and in the Greek are onomatopoeic because they sound like what they're trying to describe. Both their physical formation and their sound convey a sense of their basic meaning, the expulsion of wind or breath, the idea of air in motion. Spirit expresses in its most fundamental form the breath of life. Power, energy, and life. And then he says, when the Ruach Yahweh, the Spirit of the Lord, uh, comes on individuals, they are caught up 
in the thrust of an alien energy, in other words, an outside energy that is stronger than and beyond what they have uh, in their own capacity, and exercise unusual powers. The faint are raised into action. Exceptional human abilities are demonstrated. Ecstasy may be experienced. Yahweh's ruach, God's spirit, is, as it were, the blast of God, he says. The irresistible power by which he accomplishes his purpose. This blast of God, this strength of God, this power that comes upon believers. Jesus said it flows out of us like a river. It's that strength, it's that power upon which we draw to overcome temptation, to overcome fear, to overcome obstacles, to overcome challenges. And he's calling us to be full of that in the book of Acts. Amen? I'm feeling full of it right now. Or maybe it's the coffee that we started drinking at 6 a.m. I'm not sure. Um, So that was Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, this spirit came upon Jesus' followers. Remember, 120 of them, they had gathered together. They were in an upper room. They were all praying. They were waiting for the promise of the Father. And then the scripture says that this wind, the sound of a wind that was like a tempest or a gale or, or like a freight train, the sound of this wind came blasting in to the room. And the scripture says that little flames or tongues of fire came and, and then landed upon the heads of those believers who were gathered there in uh, in Jerusalem on that day. And here's an artistic description, you know, sort of depiction of, of what that may have looked like. Who knows? Um, but this happened and that it infused them with the ability, these 120 people, with the ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. In other words, proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to all of the people that had gathered there for this feast of Pentecost from all over the world. Okay, so people had come from literally every corner of the globe, had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this feast, and the 120 people that were gathered in that room started proclaiming God's might and power and mercy and grace in their language. It was a huge miracle. You tracking with me so far? We're all good? That's just Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to do Acts chapter 3. Um, at that time, because these people proclaimed that message, Scripture says that over 3,000 people became followers of Jesus on that day. Actually, it says 3,000 men. So if we just conservatively say that men were 50% of the first congregation, that first day, 6,000 people became followers of Jesus in one day. 120 to 6,000, one day, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, it, it, it's, like, it's like the very first viral movement. It's that, you know, marketers, that holy grail. How do we make a viral video? This is, this is pre-Gangnam style. This is like way before what does the fox say, okay? You bit my finger, Charlie. This is way before that. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? Um, you just got to go on YouTube. Um, this is like, it's, it literally swept the globe in unprecedented time. Um, So now we're going to dive into Acts chapter 3. And um, Acts chapter 3, I'm going to read you a few different uh, verses from it because we're going to, I'm not actually going to read you all of Acts 3 and 4. Amen. Everyone says amen. My wife says amen. But I am going to read you some select passages. So we're going to start with Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. This is shortly after the day of Pentecost, right? 
Peter and John, you remember these two guys. These guys had known each other all their life. They were fishing buddies. Both of their dads had businesses, fishing businesses on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and John had grown up together. They were going to be fishermen. They were going to take over their dad's business. But Jesus came and he said to them, I want you to follow me. Radically changed their lives. They started to follow him. You also remember that Peter, James, and John, those three were Jesus' closest disciples. So that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration... Peter, James, and John were there, okay? When he went and healed Jairus' daughter, he brought them with him. When he went deep into the Garden of Gethsemane, he brought them with him. So these guys are like the inner circle of Jesus' life, and they're best buds. They've known each other all their life. James, uh, Peter and John, sorry, not James, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer at 3 p.m. That's the ninth hour. And Scripture says, a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So a guy who had been sick all his life, every day of his life, born lame. Uh, His friends are taking him there. They're plopping him down at the gate. There are a lot of people going into the temple. He knows they're going to have their offering money with him. So he says, this is a good spot to be. There'll be some foot traffic. I'll get some alms. And that's what he's doing. Um, Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And Peter, it says, directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. It's an interesting moment, right? This is when you know you're going to do something. Because most of the time, if you're walking down a city street and there's a homeless person or someone asking for money and you don't want to give them money, what do you do? You go, wow, look at that building over there. Huh, interesting. Oh, didn't see, right? So they, you know, they, you know, we normally avoid that if we're, trying, if we're trying to avoid the person. These guys stop. They say, look at me. Um, and Peter directed his gaze and look at us, he said. And he fixed his attention on them, the man did, expecting, it says, to receive something from them. Now, this is what's interesting. The man is lying there all of his life. He's been lying there in this spot. Here come these two guys. They're looking at him. Scripture says he is expecting to receive something from them. Let me give you the first point I want to just make to you. God sees you by the light of his power, not through the lens of your problems. He sees you by the light of his power, what he's capable of, not what you're capable of. That's how he sees you. I want to take you down this imaginary path for a minute identify with this guy right when he's born his mother says you know his legs they don't look quite right they're a little bit twisted his calf muscles don't look like the other babies and over the years as the months go on when the other kids are crawling this little kid isn't crawling he's just sitting there when the other little kids start to walk and start to stand for the first time he can't do it Now they're cruising across the furniture in the house, and he's not doing that. Before long, these other kids that he grew up with are skipping. They're jumping. They're leaping. They're climbing. This little kid is sitting there unable to do anything. And pretty soon, they discover, you know, this isn't going away. This isn't going to be fixed. And so they take this kid out at some point in his life and sat him in front of Solomon's temple and said, You're just going to have to beg for money. You don't have the skill, the ability, or strength to do anything else. You just sit here and ask people for alms. That's what he's been doing all his life. And he may have even, you know, while he's sitting there, he may have even pulled up his robe a little bit so that the the people that walk by could say, you know what, this guy's legit. There's an actual deformity here. We'll we'll hand him some money, you know. I, I remember when I was in New York one time several years ago, 
I was walking down West 53rd Street. And a guy comes walking towards me. And he's probably, you know, half a block away. And he says, Senator, Senator. And he's looking right at me. And I'm like, yeah, no, he's still looking at me. And he goes, Senator, Senator. And he's walking right toward me, big smile on his face. Hey, Senator. And I'm thinking, you know, this guy's crazy. He thinks I'm a senator or he's crazy. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and he comes up to me and he goes, Senator, care to pass a bill? And he puts his hand out like that. And I go, dude, that was good, man. I'm like, here, here you go. Let me, let me, let me, let me. And I gave him some money, right? It was a good, it was a good one. If I'm ever down on my luck, that's, that's my thing. I'm going to do that one. But this guy's the real deal in the story. This guy's not the care to pass a buck. He's, he's messed up, man. This is a guy who's hurting all of his life. And here's the, you know, the, other, the other point that I think is fascinating. Scripture keeps telling us that he's 40 years old. He's a little over 40. You know what that means? That means he was a, he was a little older than Jesus. He was born a few years before Jesus. That means for the last three and a half years... In the beggar community, in the, in the community of people that are disabled, the blind, the lame, everyone's talking about Jesus in Jerusalem. There's this rabbi who's traveling around the hills of Galilee healing people. He would have been hip to this. He would have known about Jesus. And he, he may have wondered, you know, why didn't Jesus heal me? In fact, Jesus, weeks earlier, had come through the temple on many occasions. Scripture says a few weeks earlier, he had healed blind and lame people in the temple. But somehow this guy who's been sitting there for 40 years, right, didn't get healed. So you know in his heart he's going, why? Why not me? And so when he heard that Jesus was killed, he had to have been crushed, right? If he had any hope at all, it would have been in this one guy who seems to be healing people. But now he's dead, right? And so he's sitting there, and there's no hope. It's a devastating blow. So the only thing that he could possibly expect to receive is a little bit of money or a little bit of food, right? When he's sitting there looking at Peter and John, this is what he's expecting, I'm going to read you a few more verses. I'm glad that God doesn't always give us what we expect. Aren't you glad? Verse 6 says, But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This, is, this, is, this guy's never heard this before. Get up, man. Stand up. Scripture says that uh, Peter took him by the right hand, raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping, he didn't waste time, he had never leapt, leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. I like how he doesn't go down, he doesn't go home to tell his family, he doesn't go to the bar to show off his new legs, he goes into the temple to praise God. Um, his ankles were made strong, leaping. He goes into the temple and praising God. And all the people, this is important, all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder 
and amazement at what had happened. God sees you by the light of his power, not through the lens of your problems. He sees you by what he can do in you. You say, you know what? I have been struggled with my temper all my life. God doesn't see you through the light of that problem. He sees you through the light of his power. An addiction, lust, whatever it is, overindulgence, whatever your deal is, right? He doesn't see you through the lens of that. That's not how he pictures you. He doesn't see you as a messed up, screwed up person. He sees you by the light of his power, what he can do to you and through you and in you. A lot of people will say, and this is, this is you know, interesting. A lot of people will say that God doesn't give you what you want. He gives you what you need, right? I'm going to push back on that concept just a little bit today. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you want. Sometimes God doesn't give you what you need, but God always gives you what's, what he needs you to have to fulfill his purpose for your life. He gives you what he needs you to have in order for you to fulfill your, his purpose in your life. At the end of the day, it's not about you and me. It's about him, and it's about his purpose. This guy was hungry. He needed food. He wanted food. He needed money. He wanted money. God didn't give him money. God gave him something much greater than money, much greater than what he needed. God wanted him to have what he needed. And, and, and why do I say that? Because let's look at verse 9 and 10 again. 9 and 10 says, All the people saw him walking and praising God, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms and they were filled with wonder and amazement you see god didn't heal this man just for him he healed this man for the thousands of people who had gathered in the temple who knew him because he had been sitting there for 40 years or 30 years let's say he started when he was 10 all right god healed him not for him but for what god wanted to do to the other people in that building God had a bigger purpose in mind. God had a movement in mind. All the people in that temple had seen this guy, recognized him. And so when they saw him raised, when they saw Peter and John pull him up, they knew this wasn't smoke and mirrors. They knew this wasn't snake oil salesman. They knew this was legit. They see a guy who's been crippled for 40 years, and now he's... Like Pharrell, you know, I'm so happy and dancing around through the temple, right? This blows their mind. This gives Peter the opportunity then to stand up in front of the crowd because the the scripture says that the crowd rushed towards them. And they're all saying, what's going on? What's happening? And Peter preaches the same thing he preached in Acts chapter 2. He said, here's the deal. Jesus was here. He's the son of God. He was here. You didn't recognize him. You killed him. He He died. He was buried. He rose again. He commissioned us. He ascended to heaven. He infused us with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what healed this guy. Do you want a piece of this? And they said, yes. And the scripture says that 5,000 people on this day, 5,000 men became believers. Oh, by the way, Peter and John were being arrested during the altar call. The scripture says that the temple police came 
grabbed them because of the ruckus. They're being hauled off saying, join our movement. And 5,000 men and their wives and other people all said yes. So now if we conservatively say that that's 10,000, right? 50. So now we're at, what are we at? Come on, math people. Uh, we're at 16,000 conservatively within from 120 to 16,000. These last 10,000 are added. Why? Because one man was healed. One man was healed. And Jesus healed that man for that purpose on that day. This is an interesting, just an interesting little detail about this. The scripture says over and over that this guy was over 40 years old. You know what the lifespan, the average lifespan of a first century person in this region was in in the first century? It's about 40. It's about 40. This guy, this was, this guy, this was the end, this was towards the end of his life, right? His whole life had, had been directed at this moment. He needed to sit in front of that gate for the last 30 years so that all of the people in that temple could see him for 30 years so that when he was healed, they could say, yep, that's for real. His life, God had a purpose for him being lame in front of that temple for 30 years so that he could raise him on his 40th year one day to bring his Holy Spirit to 10,000 additional people. I think that's astounding. And I want to say, you know, if, if there are struggles in your life, there are things that are just going on in your life and you're not sure why and they're outside of your control. Can you just trust God? Can you just have faith that there's a God that might have a bigger picture than with a picture that you have in your mind right now? If there are struggles in your heart, circumstances that you don't understand, sometimes there's a, there's a much, much bigger purpose than you can possibly conceive. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage. Don't give up. Like the old preacher says, if you're not dead, you're not done. So hold on. Um, Peter and John, they get hauled off to prison. They spend the night in jail. The next morning, they get up. The Sanhedrin pull them all together. They've got all the bigwigs now. They've got Caiaphas and Annas and all the high priests. They put them together. They put them on trial. And they say, by what power did you do this? And Peter says, you know what? I've already preached this twice. I'm just going to preach it again. And Peter's got, he's, he's got it easy, actually. And, the, you know, he just preaches the same sermon. Uh, so he preaches the same sermon. Death, burial, resurrection, ascension, empowerment, healing, boom, join us, right? And they say, all right, let's take a minute. They send Peter and John off with the, the healed guy. And they say, I want you guys to go in another room. They do a little confab, a little tete-a-tete. They say, what are we going to do? They say, well, look. We can't deny the miracle. Everybody knows this guy. Um, So what we're going to do is firmly warn them not to do this again, and we'll send them on their way. They're in that position. Has anybody ever seen the movie Gladiator? I am the last person on the planet to see that movie. I just saw that movie this last week. That is an awesome movie. Someone should have told me 14 years ago how good that movie was. But um, there's this moment... (laughs) Because you haven't seen it in 14 years, I'm going to explain it. There's this moment in Gladiator where the emperor, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, is, is you know, up in the emperor area. And this slave, this gladiator, is down in the arena, right? 
But the, the slave is gaining so much notoriety, so much popularity, that the emperor is now bound by what the slave is doing. Because if the emperor does something that is against the slave, then the people are going to turn against the emperor, right? So now the, the, the royalty is sort of governed by what's going on with the, the lowest and most base person in the society, who is this gladiator, who's actually supposed to be dead, but he didn't die. It's a long story. I'll explain all of that to you another time. Um, and so that's, what, that's the position the Sanhedrin are in right now. They're going, look, we're in charge, but these two guys just did something that we can't do. And now all these people are starting to get excited about what they're doing. If we mess with them, then the people are going to turn against us. We can't mess with them. So they decide at that point, anyway, not to kill them, not to keep them in prison, but they give them this stern warning, don't do this again. Don't go preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And Peter, who just weeks earlier, remember, was cowering in the shadows, is now standing in front of the Sanhedrin. And he says, God's telling us one thing. You're telling us another thing. What do you think we're going to do? You be the judge. Have a nice day, guys. We're out. Peace. Love you guys. Boom. Peter and John are out. They go back to their people. They go back to these followers, the believers. Um, and they go and they tell them. They say, look, here's, God, here's what's going on. We're getting threatened. There are all these warnings. They say they're going to kill us. Um, we need to pray. Listen to what the pre- people pray for. Do you think that they pray, God, please remove um, you know, these struggles out of our way. Please take away the, you know, the challenges in our life. Please remove the obstacles. No, they don't pray that. I love their prayer. Listen to what they pray. They say in, in verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, note their threats, and grant to your servants, us, grant us to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Acknowledge their threats, Lord, but you know what? Give us the strength, the power, the boldness, the courage to keep on going despite their threats. You don't need to remove their threats. Just give us the strength to keep doing what we're supposed to do despite the threats. That's the prayer. Um, And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. that, That courage and boldness of Peter and John is contagious. Billy Graham, there's a good quote that says, Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. You see that tank man standing out there. Suddenly you feel like, man, I want to stand up for something. I want to do something. Um, That brings us to our third and final point. The the work that God does in you is often more important than the work that God does for you. You're asking him to remove the obstacle. He's saying, I want to strengthen you to overcome the obstacle. You want him to remove the hurdle. He says, no, I want to train you to get over that hurdle. That's what God is saying. That's what that passage in James was saying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this, Daniel, if you want to come up. In eighth grade, I was on the track team. There were four problems with me being on the track team. <laughs> I can't run fast. I can't run far. I can't jump high. I can't jump long. Those were my four main problems with being on the track team. Most of the events require that you do one of those things. So, so I became a utility player on the track team. And what that really meant was if someone else broke their leg or caught pneumonia, rather than just have a bye, rather than just a forfeit, let's stick Rome in there. 
because he's a warm body. He'll get around the track. You know, everybody may be gone by the time he's there, but he'll do it. And so that was my role. And I remember with alarming detail the night that my coach said, Brent, we're going to need you to run the 100-meter hurdles tonight at the home meet. This is in Lancaster, Ohio, when we lived there when I was a little kid for a while. Lancaster, Ohio, Lancaster Gales, in the stadium, lights, home meet. I'm going to run the 100-meter hurdles. I had never leapt over a hurdle before. My little short legs had never dared try to get over a hurdle. And I, I mean, literally had no idea how to jump over a hurdle. And here's 10 of them in a row that I'm supposed to get over top speed. We line up. The gun goes off. Everyone else, for the first two steps, it's golden, man. I'm flowing. I'm flowing just like everyone else. By step three, I can't. I can barely see them. They're way down the track. Then it comes to that moment where that first hurdle, right? And everybody else has their steps timed. And they barely even, they just, their leg goes out and they just swoosh right over it. And it doesn't even, swoosh is an onomatopoeia, by the way. But they swoosh right over it. Not a problem. I start coming up to that first hurdle and there's like, you know, 27 stutter steps. It's like, like that. And did one of these where it's like, Back leg catches the hurdle, whack, smacks the ground. Everybody in the stands like, oh. I'm not joking, you guys. That happened nine more times. I was like, I was like talking out loud. I was like, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, people had like had their warm-up suits on and were drinking hot chocolate, you know. They were in the van. I mean, it was... So, when I got done, there was just a string of broken, smash-down hurdles, you know. Coaches were just like, it's okay, Rome, good job. It's good hustle, man. Go ahead and get in the bus. Um, I wanted desperately for those hurdles to be gone. But you know what? The hurdles are there to train us to get over the hurdle. That's the purpose of the hurdles. And God, I think, is saying to us in this passage, sometimes the challenges, the struggles, the threats, the warnings, the difficulties that are in front of you are not meant to be removed from you. They're meant to bring strength and power and courage and hope in you to build you into perfection so that you are complete, wanting nothing. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers. When you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces cheerful and hopeful endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. And so today, my charge and my challenge to you is this. When you leave here today, leave different than the way you came in. When you're facing adversity and difficulty at school or at work, stand in the power of his might. When you're facing temptation and and sin, stand in the power of his grace. When you're facing fear and worry and doubt, stand in the power of his love. When you're facing overwhelming odds, stand in the power of his Holy Spirit that dwells within you. 
Open your heart to him and say, come in, Holy Spirit, imbue me with strength. Imbue me with courage as I walk this path. Let me face that challenge. Let me face that difficulty, that struggle today with the courage, the strength, the might, the power, the peace, the joy of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love that you have for us. We thank you for the joy that you put in our hearts. We thank you, God, for just the opportunity to come and serve you, serve our community, serve one another, build up your church here in University City. And we ask God today that you just help us to walk out of here today with a renewed sense of hope, a renewed sense of courage, a renewed sense of strength so that we may stand in the face of adversity, that we can tackle that problem that has been harming and hurting and nagging us for weeks and months and maybe even years. Give us the strength and the courage to face it today. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We praise you. Lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen.